0: The future of business is responsible. The future of business is
1: intentional
0: and transparent. The future of business is intentional and transparent. De toekomst van Welcome back to Future of Business, where we take you on a journey to explore the diverse range of sectors and stories embedded in the Oxford MBA cohort and beyond, and how they will shape the future of business. I'm Grace, one of the co-hosts, and today I will be chatting with my classmate, Andreas Finzel, better yet known by most of us as Andy. Welcome, Andy.
1: Hey, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a guest on the show.
0: Yes, I mean, this is a special episode, not only because it's the last one of the season, which is bittersweet, um, but also because our guest today, Andy, is one of my fellow co-hosts on the podcast. So if you've been listening to us, I'm pretty sure you'll recognize Andy's voice by now. And for a little background information, Andy is passionate about all things media and tech. Hailing from Germany, he's worked at Paramount before starting his MBA, and he has been the co-chair of Saïd Business School's Media and Entertainment Club, which has put on some great events featuring speakers from Paramount to Spotify, just to name a couple of them. So not surprisingly, the topic that we'll be discussing today is media and entertainment.
1: There's no biz like showbiz, <laughs> that's what they say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive right in. My first question is, we all enjoy watching movies, listening to music, right? But there's only a handful of us, I guess, proportionally speaking, that actually end up working in media entertainment. So why did you decide to pursue a career in this sector?
1: I think the short answer is when I was a teenager, I liked watching YouTube videos and I figured (laughs) that's fun. Um, And the more complex answer is that that I I try to be a light that makes the world brighter and I try to bring positive and joyful things. And that's what we do in entertainment. That's what we Mm -hmm. do at scale. Um, And in companies like Paramount, we get to touch the lives of millions of people, and it's a privilege. Um, And that's why I went to the media.
0: I love that. And could you just tell me a little bit more about the day-to-day, and maybe a particularly memorable project that you've worked
1: on? Oh, sure. I can talk a little bit about the work that that I do in particular. I do have a degree in media management, but I work at the very, very commercial end of media. Um, so I worked in business development and sales uh, for Paramount. Um, they own a lot of other assets as well. It's not mm-hmm. just the film studio, it's also Nickelodeon, MTV, CBS. They show the Super Bowl. Um, they have a couple of theme parks. Um, they make shows like Y5O, Spongebob, Paw Patrol, and movies like Transformers. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff happening. Um, and I, at the end, had an office job. I would plan revenues, talk to clients, uh, sign deals, um, have a sales target. The most important thing, if you like, want to enter the industry, is to understand that this is a very small business. There's, just, there's not many people. We were 100 people in my organization, and we were in charge of 25 countries. Wow. Like, my dad is manufacturing, and I have 10,000 people in that small town, just for that one plant just to get an idea of the scope. Um, and prices are done by supply and demand. <laughs> right. And understanding how many people want to work in an industry, or a company like Paramount, it's quite easy for them to dictate the terms mm-hmm. under which people are being employed.
0: You mentioned the working in the commercial side of media. Now let's assume that the listeners and I know very little about media landscape on that side, but beyond just the fact that as subscribers, we pay for media content. Uh, of course, there's also Freeman models, but could you just give us a bit of an overview of the main forms of media distribution and their business
1: models? Absolutely. This is, I love talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the toolbox that I play with. Um, so there's a lot of people who are great in making movies and telling stories and they push the boundaries and they change representation and they push our culture forwards and I don't do anything like this. I make money. So people always say the commercial people come in and they destroy the creativity and just want to make money. I'm one of those people. <laughs> and I love being one of those people. Um, so if we have a TV show, let's say like SpongeBob or Game of Thrones, whatever, um, it's a lot of mo- it costs a lot of money to make. Um, and then we look at different ways to monetize it. Um, So if you look in terms of business models, then I think the first question is, who is going to pay? I mean, the easiest thing is obviously the consumer pays. You as a user pay. Um, For example, you could buy the DVD, or you could go to the cinema and pay there, or you could buy it on iTunes. So that's a retail model, where you pay, and you watch it once, or you pay for for a specific piece of content. So I buy a movie in the cinema on iTunes, on a DVD, that's retail. Um, And then the next thing you can do is, you can have subscriptions, like Netflix or Spotify, where there's a big package of content I can consume, and I pay a monthly fee. Um, And it's quite nice for the company, because they get reoccurring revenues that they can plan, and it's less volatile for them. Um, And right now, it's quite nice for the user, because there's so much included for a good price. And then there's a... And then there's, like, there could be mixed models, like freemium. Um or different tiers. Um and then obviously if I don't want to pay anything because I'm cheap and it's okay, <laughs> um, there's advertisement supported stuff like free television, where I get to watch a movie or or a TV show and I don't pay anything, and then an advertiser pays um for me to see ads. Um and it's kinda of interesting to understand what it means in terms of who gets to make decisions, who gets to make commands, who gets to push what is being shown, what is not being shown. And then and a mix of both, like a three model where I can get some for free and then I subscribe for more. Um, and then I do want to mention a third thing, just really briefly, that there's public media, like the BBC. That makes for a very interesting competitive landscape. So a TV station in the UK has competed with the BBC, even though they are on completely different terms.
0: And so with all of these different players, who, who's coming on top and is it going to stay that way?
1: That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of different forms of media. Some people listen to music, some people watch TV, some people watch movies. I think all of them are going to stay. It's good to have a bouquet of flowers, and we like all of them. Um, I think many of the business models are going to gonna stay. Some people want to pay, some people don't want to pay. That's fair. Um, I think in terms of how we consume, like the, the technology and the distribution, things do change. We watch more and more streaming much less television. At the same time, people are still listening to the radio. Like, when the first time a TV was sold, everybody said the radio's gonna die. And granted, the radio is much less important than it was 100 years ago, but it's still around, in a way. In terms of how the market is shifting, I think there's a few important things to realize. Um, generally speaking, media has high fixed costs and less... Variable costs, and it leads to economics of scale. So it, it's really it's really expensive to make a movie in the first time, but I don't mind if a hundred people see it or a thousand people. And with streaming and digital distribution, what used to be a like a national market becomes a global market. So in TV, every country used to have four or five TV stations, and in ten years from now, we're gonna have four or five streaming services mm-hmm. globally, and it's a reduction of a factor by a hundred just to understand. Wow. So I think this is really, and this happens with everything we thought that the internet would bring us more players, but it actually ends up concentrating the market more. I think that's a really important thing to understand, that there's market concentration happening. And I think another important aspect is that as we're doing more digital distribution, there's a lot of data about the users, and this right. is really valuable. Um, and in a competitive landscape, access to first-party data becomes an advantage. Um, And this is why companies like Amazon are doing so well, because Mm -hmm. they manage to not only produce content, but also to control the relationship to the consumer.
0: Talking about streaming and, of course, the data aspect, we have to talk about Netflix. They're a company that sort of revolutionized subscription video on demand. And for years, you know, they've been increasing their subscriber base. But this year, 2022, is the first time they've actually lost Subscribers and uh, projects that they may lose more subscribers during the year. So some of the changes they've made, for example, is to add a cheaper ad-supported subscription, uh, which is something they previously avoided doing. Yeah. yeah. So, what are your thoughts on on this development, and and what do you think needs to happen for the likes of Netflix and the rest of of SVOD? platforms to sustain themselves in the long run?
1: Well, first of all, Netflix are great. They, it's, an, it's a very impressive growth there the last couple of years. Maybe you remember that I talked about the toolbox of monetization. Mm-hmm. Um, and 10 years ago, all the big media companies figured they can make a quick buck by giving some content to Netflix because they did it only online and they wouldn't put it on television. Once. And that's how Netflix became so big because for quite some time, it was quite lucrative for the other media companies to give them cool stuff. Uh, for a small price. And then Netflix had this incredible growth, had a lot of access to funding, um, so it was, had a lot of money from Wall Street, um, managed to burn a lot of cash um, to grow subscribers. Um, and the business model they're using with subscription, um, briefly, we, earlier we talked about that, compared to iTunes, we are co revenue stream with subscribers, it's much easier to predict. Um, and they sold the market, or well, the Wall Street, on the promise of, if we keep on adding subscribers, we're going to make a lot of money in the future. And I think what's, what's happening now is that, on the one hand, the economy is shifting a little bit, and some people are worried about a recession, and they're going to have to cut some costs, and a streaming service is an easy way to save. You don't really need this. It's clearly disposable. And at the same time, there's a lot more competition. Um, by now... Disney and Warner Brothers and every media company and Amazon um, realize that streaming is the way to go, So the Paramount, um, and they're ramping up and, and they're filling, filling the market with great offerings. At the end of the day, I think the market is getting smaller and there's more people competing for it. So that's going to be tricky for Netflix. I do think they're going to be around. They're not going to go bust. But if I would have to put my money on Disney or Netflix, I will put it on Disney. They and print money. They print money in theme parks. Let's think again about Whoa. this toolbox of monetization. Netflix spends, let's say, ten million on a movie. Yeah, fixed cost. How are they gonna make money with it? They have subscribers all over the world and they pay. And that's it. Net- Disney spends ten million on a movie. How are they gonna make money with it? They have subscribers all over the world. They own ESPN Plus. They own Hulu. They own Disney+. Plus, you know, they do make the same money. And then on top of that, they're going to sell millions of toys. They're going to make the theme parks. They have language class in Asia. They have cruise ships. There's just so much happening. They are so much better at monetizing the content that they, that they pay for.
0: That's very true. And essentially, that's product diversification, having a large portfolio, which... Maybe Netflix can move in that direction in
1: the future. Yeah, I think that's one of the things they're considering diversifying okay. their revenues. Right. One way is to add advertisement. Another is to. I mean, they do they do some toys, and th- I think you can buy the. I'm sure you can buy like a Stranger Things jacket somewhere if you, t- if yeah, you try imagine, hard Yeah, but not at a scale that Disney does it.
0: I'd imagine something like a Netflix land or, or Stranger Things theme park. Yeah,
1: imagine a hoodie from um, <laughs> Squid Game.
0: Right, exactly. With the, with
1: the symbols. Yeah. Netflix does these things, but mm-hmm. not, not at the scale, Disney does it. Right. Um, and another thing is, these theme parks are insane. I think we, we don't understand how much money Disney makes with theme parks. I don't think it's half their money, but it must more, be more than
0: 30%. Switch gears a little bit. You're a self-professed LinkedIn addict. You've written some articles. <laughs> on LinkedIn. Yes. I've enjoyed reading them. And so at the end of last year, you wrote a LinkedIn article essentially making media and tech predictions for 2022. And so one of the predictions that you wrote was that the big battles will be fought over infrastructure, like 5G, OS, and cloud. So could you talk more about that and how 2022 has panned out so far in that regard?
1: Thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> to go to my LinkedIn. I'm glad somebody reads my articles. I must admit, I sure, didn't expect people. you to, like, direct <laughs> this out in July and be like, how is it going so far? Um. so, yeah, so I said that the big bell is I'm not going to fight over who's the best streaming service, but the underlying infrastructure, like 5G, so that's mobile internet, um, OS operating system. So we are comparing the um, Android and iOS or stuff like the Amazon Fire TV stick with Roku um, and then cloud computing. So that's maybe Google Cloud, AWS. Um, Oracle and Azure or Microsoft. I think the first thing to understand is the scale. Paramount is worth probably oh god less than fifty billion. And Apple is at two trillion. Give or take a couple of hundred millions. Don't pin me down that number. Um, so if you would if you would chart them next to each other they would be completely dwarfed by the big companies, by the big tech, big tech companies, um, and but at the same time they are still competing. So the other day Apple shot up at Sundance and just put two hundred million on the table and bought a movie, and then won the Acad- Academy Award for Best Picture, the Oscar. Yeah, it's and that is just not a fair competition. That is David and Goliath. Mm. I think that is the first thing to understand, and why these much bigger companies are competing with each other, I think they they will use entertainment assets um, to build their bigger businesses. Um, So, for example, some of the streaming services run on third-party cloud systems like AWS or Google Cloud, and then they use them as an example to grow their cloud business. So they would approach a commercial operator like, I don't know, Tata or Tyson Group or Airbus and be like, move your cloud computing to us we are so proficient, we can even want Disney Plus, Um And that is just a much a much larger game. And in terms of how it's going, um, I mean, we've seen a couple of the tech stocks collapse, that included Netflix and Spotify, It also included Amazon, so it's not just um, the entertainment ones. Um, but in case we are running into a recession, then probably value stocks like Telcos um, are set to be more successful in the next year or two than growth stocks like Netflix. So I think we Yeah, we we're gonna kinda come back to to the idea of who's actually making money right now and with a stable business and whose whose business is built on the promise of either growth in the future or a couple of hits per year that are not actually for granted. It's July only. Let's see how it's how it,
0: half a year how it
1: unfolds. And if you guys want to read the other predictions head over to my LinkedIn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I recommend following Andy if you are especially if you are a media junkie. And something else I wanted to bring up is podcasting, which, you know, of course, we're we're recording for a podcast yeah. right now. We have to talk about it. <clears throat> and it's an increasingly popular form of media and Spotify has invested significantly in its podcast business. So, given that, how do you see podcasts as a content medium and the commercial side of its business evolving in the next couple of years? And what are the, the challenges ahead as well?
1: Um, I think podcasts are great. <laughs> they are quite easy to make compared to movies. And people spend a lot of time on them compared to if you make a song. I think it's important to understand that podcasts and Spotify are not the same thing. Apple made the term podcast. That's literally where it comes from. Um, so you can clearly listen to them on the Apple device of Apple Music or Apple Podcasts. Um, Amazon has a couple of very interesting long-form audio uh, things going on. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the business behind it. A lot of us consider podcasts in the same group of music, like audio-only experiences. I put in my headphones and I can choose between music or podcasts. For me, it's kind of similar, right? But the business is entirely different, and that is because the music industry is dominated by the labels, like Universal. And so there's four or five big groups, and they own the vast majority of intellectual property. Um, And that means, if Spotify makes money with music, or Apple, a huge chunk goes to the labels, and they're never going to get rid of it. Just, once Universal signed Beyonce they will have a fight between each other and Beyonce is doing quite well. Um, mm-hmm. But Spotify is not going to come in and, and get get rid of the labors. Um, and that is why companies like Spotify or Apple, uh, Amazon are pushing more to podcast content because they will be able to retain a bigger share of revenues. Um, and then maybe a little bit about how, how podcasts can make money. So, I mean, clearly sometimes there's, there's a sponsorship going on. And so I okay. could now say like, this podcast is to by, and I would say something. Um, and the next thing is, there could be <clears throat> programmatic ads. You and I would say, we're going on a break now. And then there would be like a tech infrastructure behind us that automatically places ads depending yes. on who is yes. listening. And the big difference is, if if it's like a direct ad, like, like the host reads it out, then the ad client, the brand, will be able to book it on the base of a specific show. But if it's programmatic, so if a technology inserts different ads, then a brand would be able to book inventory based on an audience. Um, yeah, so one would really be like, somebody buys, I buy advertisement to show it to all the users of Future of Business. Um, and the other one would be, I'm going to buy advertisement and I want it for all the listeners that are female with audience 30. So it's very, it's very different the way advertisement works. Um, and then sometimes there's sponsored content. Like I think Amazon has a couple of podcasts that they that they hired a production company to make it just so that they can present how great their club business is, I guess. Yeah, so there's a lot of of stuff moving in there. And then let's see how it plays out. I think a lot of the stuff that happened with a lot of the revolution that Google brought to ads online, I think the same stuff is going to come to podcasts now in the next couple of years.
0: It seems like it's going to be harder for, say, just independent podcasters to break it into the market if they're not backed by these companies, would you say that's the case?
1: Um, no, that's quite harsh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question, actually. In terms of monetization, if there's programmatic advertisement, then it's actually quite easy to get involved. So it's the same way that you not, if you make a website and you get 2,000 people to read it, like a blog about your time in Oxford then you can use Google AdWords, Google AdSense. Google, you can use Google um, to show ads and you can make a, a, little bit, a bit of money. And the same thing is going to be po- able for independent podcast producers. What is very, very, very difficult is for anybody else to like, offer this ad infrastructure. So Spotify is doing it themselves. I'm sure Amazon is doing it themselves. Um, Google is still doing that. Um, so that battle, that's concentrated. And also for big, big scale podcast it's going to be difficult to push back against the life of spotify or amazon or google but for the independent one the the oxford student that wants to make a quick buck <laughs> by the side of a cool podcast that's probably uh, going to be easier if there's more advertisement. all
0: right so to wrap up i want to come back to the oxford mba if you could just share more about how the MBA has helped you broaden your perspectives in the media entertainment landscape, as well <laughs> as your advice for anyone who sort of wants to follow in your footsteps and in, in break into the sector.
1: Um, yeah. You know, um, first question, how it broadened my horizon. Um, it's been widely fascinating to meet people from different countries. Um, obviously, also from different industries. I love talking to doctors and oil princes, but it is like for my work, it has been very illuminating to understand how different the business is in other regions. For example, in many African regions, people don't have credit cards, and that's why they can't get a Netflix subscription. And the way payments work there is that you do it with your mobile phone number. So when Netflix wants to enter market, they need to sign an agreement with the local telco. And if they don't want it, then it's not happening. And there has been a time in, in a region in Africa, I'm not sure if it's still the case, when Netflix was for free, because they couldn't get the payments to work, because the local telco mm-hmm. said, no, yeah. I'm not going to sign this. And Netflix had no chance to get payments, and then well, minus we for free. Crazy. Completely unthinkable here. Um, yeah, that's one of the examples. Um, and then in terms of how you can get into the space... I mean, it, it really depends on the world. If, if you want to be a scriptwriter or an actor, well, that is hard. I'm thinking and,
0: more the commercial
1: side. Oh, the commercial side. Um, yeah, I think ads is a good way to kind of get started, either on an ad tech firm or in an agency, either a media agency or a creative agency, or even marketing for, for firms. You get to work with media companies. And then if, if you're working in functions like... Corporate functions like HR or legal. And then all you're going to do is take a pay cut <laughs> and the big media firms going to be happy, happy to hire you. Um, That's a passion tax, as I said earlier. A lot mm-hmm. of people want to work for Paramount. They get to, to dictate the terms. Um, but if you're a skilled lawyer, then they're happy to have you.
0: Right. So essentially targeting based on your functional expertise to
1: break into... The overall sector, yeah, if it's the commercial side, yeah, I mean if it's like the production side, and I mean there's an episode of Hugh about this, yes, um, good plug. Yeah, yeah. I work at the very Commercial end of Media, and there's another episode with Hugh who talks about the production of media.
0: Yeah, that's a couple episodes back. And last but not least, and I can't quite believe this because this is the last episode of the season, but what are you going to miss about Oxford and the NBA program in general you know we're coming to an end right now it's july just have about a month and a half left Don't and
1: tear up <laughs> um i think you expect me to be really sad now honestly i'm i'm ready for this to be over just because i know it's, it's temporary and i'm excited for the next step um, i think what i miss most is the proximity of incredible people so this is insane what kind of people are here it's an absolute privilege to spend time with you um and what one of the things that makes it so stunning is that they all live within two miles. So I can literally yep. jump on my bike to meet <laughs> each of you. And it's going to be very different, even if we all move to London. Um, but then, I think we're all going to make incredible things next year. Just imagine, if we can move mountains within Oxford, how much more can we do if we go back to corporate functions? So in Germany, we say that it was a magic in every new beginning.
0: Oh, I love and, that.
1: And am um, curious to see what you all will do next.
0: Well, thank you so much, Andy. I'm so glad I've had the pleasure to host you on this last episode of of season four. And I also look forward to seeing where you go next.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: The Future of Business podcast will be taking a break until late this year when the new MBA cohort takes over. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the episodes as much as we have enjoyed hosting and producing them. We'd love to hear your feedback regarding the podcast and learn more about how we can make it better. So please fill out the survey linked in the show notes. Last but not least, make sure you're following The Future of Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, so you'll be the first to know when the new season is out.